everyone, Joe Soto here, and today you are in the right place at the right time. You're going to learn a step-by-step approach, a true unique approach, I believe, in the market right now um, for dominating your market, for owning your market when it's uh, hyper-competitive out there, and being able to charge more while you're at it, being able to leave your customers happy, and I can't wait for you to meet my guests. We've got Teresa Lina on the show, and Teresa has over 20 years of experience as a recognized Silicon Valley thought leader and strategist. She's the CEO of the Lina Group, which specializes in market dominance strategy. What a great name and topic. And, and she's been involved at Stanford University since 2006. She has served as the chief strategy and marketing officer for several tech companies and startups. She's advised executives at hundreds of companies, including some of your favorite brands like Apple, Amazon, Google, Nike, Disney, the list goes on. She's also worked with a lot of companies and businesses and entrepreneurs in smaller niches. So you're in the right place. Like I said, she's also the author of one of my new favorite books called Be the Go-To, How to Own Your Competitive Market, Charge More, and Have Happy Customers Love You For It. We'll be right back. This is the Not Your Average Joe Show, where each week we bring you sales, marketing, and mindset strategies you need to get to your next level. And now, here's your host, international business mentor, Joe Soto. Teresa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. That that introduction and uh, could have been a lot longer. Uh, but people <laughs> just have to look you up to find out the rest. But what an inspiration you've been to me and my uh, business, to my to my new vin- business venture that we've recently launched here in 2021. You don't even know all that yet because we're we, we're just we're new friends. I'm, we're, oh, I'm I can't calling, wait I'm calling, to hear. I'm it. I can't friend. wait to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. a guest, you're now a friend. Yeah. So, likewise. Um, you're one of those. There's there's a couple. I always say that a book that you read all the way through must be a good book. But a book that you reread over and over again must be a great book. And you have one of those great books. And this is uh, this marks some of my notes in here um, that I have questions that I have for you. I have an audience and let's kick, if we can kick it off a little bit and you can kind of weave in a little bit of your story, if you will, as we go. But just mm-hmm. to get into the meat of this, um, the majority of my audience, as you are aware, are entrepreneurs and a large segment of those entrepreneurs are agency owners, consultants, coaches. And the biggest challenge that seems to come up every single on every single coaching call that I have and every single training that I have um, and every single conversation I have with people that are in my mastermind, it's that of differentiation. And um, in your book, you write about the, you know, the me too death spiral, your mantra I love, which is, you know, be the go-to, not the me too, which I love. I think you trademarked that. Um, but can you share your thoughts you know, and, and, and around what inspired you to write this book, what it means to be the go-to, what the dangers of commoditization is, let's just kick it off. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, thank you for, I couldn't ask for a better testimonial with your introduction. So thank you. And I'm so happy to hear, of course, an author, nothing makes an author happier than to find out that what they've put out there is helping people because that's why we do it, of course. And, um, and, and actually the, you know, what started all of this was my own journey because uh, I began my career actually with a large management consulting firm called Accenture and now called Accenture, which, um, 
you know, was a premium provider in the market and I helped start a new business unit within the company. Uh, but we interestingly had a real fight on our hands to make a name for ourselves in that particular market. It was the telecommunications market. And at that time, if you weren't a telecommunications company, you weren't part of their tribe, you weren't accepted and you had no credibility whatsoever. So we really had to work to, I'm going to turn off this light to try to get some of that glare out. To, um, to, we had to really work to, to uh, help ourselves make our name, to, to make our name in the market. And so we, we had success. And then I went off on my own, started my own consulting firm. And even with and Accenture actually became a large client along with some other companies. Oh, cool. But even with my Accenture clients who knew my work, knew what uh, my team was capable of doing, were starting to push back on prices and telling me, well, we can go get that anywhere. Um, so I was, you know, I was kind of struggling with that. And then at the same time, I found myself having conversations with the different business units I was working with and other clients telling them, look, you are not as unique as you think. To say that you have the best people and, oh, my God, the agency world is just so guilty of this still yeah. today, which is amazing to me. Yeah. But, oh, we have the best people. So every single website you see, it's, um, you know, our, our Chinese menu of services our um of our of commoditized services no yeah. less i our people and we oh we have the best people our portfolio and you know you look across portfolios they're all analogous or equivalent and you know nothing sets them apart so back in these days i was having these conversations and trying to convince them you are not different i am out there in the marketplace you look and sound like everybody else well as I write about in the book, one day I'm on the phone with one of my colleagues and she said, Teresa, you're not going to believe this, but my, my best friend uh, is charging, she's out there doing very similar work to us. She's commanding $50,000 a day. Now, this is in today's dollars, $50,000 a day for her work, her personally, not her team but her individual time. And we were both blown away, but also unbelievably inspired because I thought, okay, how do you do this? And I set out, that began a long research project basically for me to understand, um, you know, I went back and, and kind of reverse engineered what we had done at Accenture to be a success. I did a lot of research with other companies. I interviewed hundreds of executives. I, I was out there talking to lots of people, looking at the literature in academia and arrived at sort of the recipe. And I wrote it down as the strategy I was going to pursue with my company. And then I realized, oh my God, everybody needs this. And that's when I codified it into, and we can talk about where the name comes from later, but the Apollo method for market dominance. Well, and that's what we have in the book. That's what I talk about. Terrific story. And uh, you probably had to ask the question, like, if she's charging 50,000 for herself and not for a team, not for a company, she's doing something that sets her apart. That's and right. this, yeah. this approach, just so everyone's clear, for those listening months from now and those who are watching this live it's applicable for personal brand for you if you are an individual consultant if you have a boutique consulting agency or business or you're a coach all the way to if you're a fortune 100 company and that's what i love about your book and i also love something about your frameworks the methodologies we're going to dive into some of this you mentioned the apollo method 
it's your book is not small. Okay. First of all, it's like 300 pages, 360 pages, I think, or something like that. If I'm recalling right, yeah, three, almost 350 pages. It's uh, broken into three sections. And maybe you could talk a little bit about why you did this or how you did this, which, you know, reminds me of the format training method that I'm familiar with. But you break it into the why, which is very simple, the what and the how. And most books I read, I wrote this in my Amazon review, by the way, most books I read, it's all, it's either all why, or it's all why and how, with a little bit of how, or I'm sorry, why and what with no how, very little how out there. And your, your book, the first 50 or so pages is your why and what, and then the rest is the meat of how to do it. You really, it's like a consulting uh, or uh, it's like having a coach on your desk, literally, and going in the way that you break down the book. So first of all, there's, there's a couple sides to what people believe, which is you should not give away all your secrets and you should give away all your secrets. You really lay it out in this book. So first of all, what, what, what inspired you to break the book up and to frame it like this? Cause you could have had two or three books in one, or you could have had two or three books out of this one. Um, and uh, what what inspired you to be so gracious with just laying it all out? It, it's incredible. I have worksheets printed out, stacks of them from the resources you give away in this book. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, it's so funny because I kept asking my editor, are you sure it's not too long? You know, it's such a long book. He goes, no, you know, I, I if I if there were things I could tell you to cut, I would. But I think it's all, you know, substantive. So um Yes. First, the structure. So I actually teach, uh, I, I, for years, I've been teaching a pitching workshop in Silicon Valley for how to pitch your, your company or your own story in order to make it compelling, because that's a big problem with startups is they, they go out to meet with investors and, and people can't figure out why in the heck would I, you know, what do you even do? Why would anybody want it? You know, it's just their pitches are horrible. So I um, I actually piloted this at Stanford, and then now I teach it um, all over the place. But it uses a message framework called the Why, What, How message framework. And uh, the purpose is to, and I get into it more in the book, but quickly, you want to, you know, you want to hook people in with why it's a problem, why there's a problem. So most people will say the problem is blank and here's how you fix it. But that doesn't hook people in. It doesn't take them on a journey. And so um, you want to start with why there's a problem and make sure they really understand and feel this visceral understanding of why they've got to do something about this. And that's exactly what I lay out in the beginning of the book is I really want people to understand because I, in the early days of the Apollo method, I ended up having to spend tons more time on the why because people didn't believe there was an issue. And I want people to understand if you are commoditized, you are freaking on your way out of business, period. You call it the death you're spiral. Me, yeah, the death spiral. And it's true. You know, maybe you're on a slow path to death. Maybe you're on a fast pace path to death. If the, you know, a lot of people were on a fast pace to death uh, during COVID because they weren't differentiated, business dropped off and boom, they were, you know, toast. Now, you know, that's not the only reason for some companies. I talk at the end of the book about how good things can, bad things can still happen to good companies. But 
But, um, you know, you are on a death spiral if you're commoditized. And I really want to make sure people understand that. So I do spend time talking about that. Then with the, then the natural next question is, well, what should I do about it? And that's where I talk about, um, you know, why, uh, you know, the, 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 the answer is aim to be the go-to. Anything less than that really still has you commoditized to some extent. And then, yes, I wanted to spend a lot of time on the how, and that is the people's natural next question. Well, how do I do that? And um, I, one, one is I, was sel- I selfishly wanted to do it because over the years, because I've had this for many years now, I've, I've found myself wanting to say, just go read the book. Like, you know, don't ask me to lay it all out and explain it all to you. Just go read the book. And so that's why I wrote the book. So I can just send people to it. And then if they get it, if it's something they want to try to implement and they do feel like they want some help, that's fine. I'm happy to help them. But, you know, I don't like reading something that turns into it basically it's just a sales pitch to get you to buy, you know, the answer to what they want, to, to what they want to, you know, to the, to the solution. Um, you know, it's, I find that very irritating when basically all I've read in a book is a big sales pitch for somebody's workshops or yeah. training or what have you. Um, and there's, there's so much, to mine with this methodology that I could write an entire book on each of the four phases. So mm-hmm. believe it or not, you know, I've really just scratched the surface in the book. In fact, sometimes I'll find myself going and referencing because I, I use it. Yeah. I keep it on my desk um, as a reference as well. And I'll be, telling a client, okay, go to page such and such, you know, read that section on market selection. That's, that's the basics of how you do market selection. But I could teach, you know, for a week on or month on market selection alone, right? That's tricky. How do you figure out which market to go after? There's a lot to, to that. So, um, so even though there's a lot of detail, um, there's certainly plenty more to it. And I talk about that in my book. You know, the more you give away, the more people want. So the more you explain, the more you share, the more they, they will, you know, still be asking you for input and help. In, in the what section of your book, you list out, I think it's seven or eight things that a go-to does to stand out or to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Um, so in other words, what you, you call it, what um, I actually printed out one of your graphics at one point, what seven things a go-to does differently. Mm-hmm. We, can you spend time on one or two of these? Let's don't give them all away. People should get this book because it'll genuinely help them. Um, what are one or two of these that seem to be the biggest blind spots for people that you've worked with? Or maybe we, t- we take it to the biggest blind spots for you know small and medium-sized businesses. Okay. Well, one is that a go-to has, I call it, maniacal focus. So, um, and I had maniacal focus when I first started doing this. I was focused just on, uh, you know, a very specific type of IT service provider in the enterprise technology space. You know, it was large, complex solutions. To, you know, it was very specific. And it was still a huge market. I mean, I, I could, I could, you know, completely stay there, stay in that space and still you know, and never really need to leave it as massive. But um, a, a go-to has maniacal focus. And um, the purpose of this is to, uh, you know, it, that's how you become a true deep specialist. You're focused on agencies, a marketing agency. Yeah. And, you know, you could live for the rest, you could feed yourself for the rest of your life 
just focused on that market. It's a massive market. It needs help. It sounds very narrow and specific, but I say in the book, specific and narrow does not mean small. And so uh, it's, you know, it's very important because then everything you do speaks very directly, very specifically to that audience. And, you know, that's part of what's important about being a go-to. Later, you can expand, but you need to get, and that relates to a second item, which is, you know, finding a beachhead, um, you know, a, a market to kind of get get your foothold in first and then you can expand from there and then another important one is um is really is i call it you know having a higher purpose so you know the you you have a higher purpose that's beyond the specific solution or services or products that you offer but you have a higher purpose where you take ownership for a market problem and you are the spiritual owner for that problem so you you do way more than what will directly sell your services and products or solutions, but you lead the market around that. So RSA, which is a security company, they hold a very famous conference. They bring people together. They provide, you know, they create a sense of community among these people. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it forms, you know, a, a, a pack, you know, it creates a pack within the industry that uh, associates you with it, but you're not there to be self-serving in that sense. So there's a lot of strategy around, you know, how you do that, how you take ownership for the problem and how, what activities and, and strategies you use, but that's what go-tos do. I, I love that. I recently uh, presented a, um, like a book proposal to a publisher. And he said, it looks like you're taking on a problem this entire market has as though it's, it's yours to solve. And I said, I think that's the only thing that's going to get everyone's attention because everyone's going through this together and no one's really saying this, you know, don't do all this, just do this instead. And no one's taking ownership of that. I love that maniacal focus and taking um, true ownership um, over the, over the market problem itself, which is a big, that's a big idea. I know you just went over it really quick. It's a big idea. Okay. Let's talk about, you've got this really cool step-by-step four phase approach and four steps doesn't mean simple. It's 200 pages you know, of, of what she's saying, almost like an overview in this book. But I can tell you that you give worksheets in this book you have access to resources that people can go online after they get when they get the book and they can see the urls to go do all this and it's literally i have a packet of these i've created uh that sit on my desk that i'm taking our, ourselves through and i hate to say that we're still only in the launch phase because there's a lot of big ideas in that launch phase but you call this four phases of market dominance the uh, the apollo method how did you come up with the name what does it mean and how is this going to help people in their business yeah, so when I first laid out the the methodology, I was actually on an airplane going to Chicago to a client meeting and I was just sort of thinking through, okay, what do I need to do? And I come from a world where, um, you know, you I come from management consulting, you use frameworks, you lay things out in kind of a logical flow kind of way. And so I basically diagrammed the logic and said, okay, if this is what I want to end up with, here are the four key things I need to do. And, uh, and then within each of those four key things, I had, you know, a series, I actually had a, a flow diagram underneath each of the four uh, 
circles you see there. And I, and then I kind of, you know, put a name at the top of each one. And, uh, you know, this is inside baseball here, but I'll share it with your audience. So you'll notice that the four, the, you can make an acronym out of that L-I-N-A, which is my last name lineup. And I did that because I wanted to be able to remember the four phases. And the words I came up with were launch, ignite, navigate, and accelerate, which captured the essence of what you're trying to do in each of the four pieces. And um, and then uh, I was, so, you know, first I tried to figure out, okay, how can I come up with something besides my own name if I want to take this to the outside world? Because that seems kind of corny. Um, but at, but I could not find, I kept trying to think, spell go to, I tried to spell like, you you know, all kinds of different things to make it memorable. Yeah. And I kept coming back to those four words, launch, ignite, navigate, accelerate, which really capture it. And, um, and we can talk later about, you know, people say, don't you ignite before you launch, but there's a specific reason why it's in that order. And, um, yes, then, so, so what was funny is I was, I was then, I happened to come across Okay, another inside baseball story. I don't talk about, I don't think I mentioned this in the book, but I, I actually received a telescope from my parents for Christmas um, one time. And it came with this book called The Handy Space Book. And I had been trying to find names and, and play around. And I happened to pick up this book and I was flipping through it. And I saw an article on the Apollo Space Program. And I grew up in NASA territory in southeastern Virginia with Langley, the Langley Research Center. A lot of my friends' parents worked on the Apollo space program. And I, so I, it's always been an interest of mine. And I started reading about it. I'm like, oh my God, the way they told the story, even though I knew the story, of course, but the way they told it, it just matched up to what you have to do to, um, to, to make this a success. And then separately, I watched the HBO miniseries From the Earth to the Moon, which is amazing. And I highly recommend everybody watch it. Tom Hanks and um, Ron Howard produced it. And it's it's an incredible uh, series uh, that tells the story of Apollo, but in an unbelievably interesting way, co covering a variety of dimensions. And watching that, I was like, oh, my God, the parallels are just incredible. And uh, even the, on the marketing front, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to call this the Apollo method for market dominance uh, as a as a nod to what it took to, you know, basically achieve the first official moonshot and the real moonshot. And then, of course, we've adopted that term in business these days. But that was the original moonshot. And I just thought it was apt. So I have a lot of really, as you would no, I have a lot of fascinating stories in the book on the yeah. parallels and what NASA did and and what made it work. You you have a you have a framework in it in the launch phase of the uh, in the launch phase in the launch chapter um, that I really loved. You called it the Apollo Method offering blueprint, where you really mm -hmm. give people a structure to get clarity on their offer which is where a lot of people fail. And it's no, you know, it's no uh, question why that's in the launch part, because if you don't get that right, nothing else matters. And, you know, a lot of people in particularly in the agency space, 
you know, they, they come up their, their, their ideas. So they come up with lots of ideas for offers, but to be able to sit down and really work through the clarity of an offer and, and not just the USP, that's one small, tiny piece of it, mm-hmm. but all the different aspects of that I thought was very thought provoking. I hope people get an opportunity to ex- explore the book, to learn that framework. You give a great ex- um, case study example of Airbnb in that, in, in that offer uh, part of the book. So I'm just bringing that to people's attention. Um, I also like in, in, the, in the launch phase, you say establish a minimal, that this is like step five, I think, establish a minimal infrastructure that you'll need to support the business. Um, what do you mean by that? People are, you know, they're, they're getting ready to launch. Everyone tries, to, everything's trying to get perfect. You know, they're trying to line up their team. Um, I think I experienced the downfall of not doing that right when I first started my company back in 2010. Maybe share a little bit about maybe mistakes people make and why you encourage people to, to just keep it as minimal infrastructure as possible to get yourself off the ground. Yeah. Well, you know, the big mistake a lot of people make is they overinvest in infrastructure and they, you know, they have this kind of vision of what they want to look like and they kind of try to plan. In fact, I was with a startup that did that and it cost us, I mean, you could argue it cost us the company um, because we were saddled with, this was during the dot-com era and the company built out this big fancy office facility. Now it was popping out of the seams for a while. So it didn't do this right out of the gate, but at some point they decided, okay, you know, we see we're on the verge of going public. We need big fancy offices and we got to now clients almost never came to the offices. Right. So in many ways it was ego and, and, and for the, employees, but way over invested in, in the facilities and the, and all of the infrastructure and, and even the people and the organization. And then, you know, we had this giant albatross around our necks when the bottom fell out and suddenly business, you know, I mean, we had literally $80 million in backlog. Now it was, you know, a professional, it was a technology services company, $80 million in backlog went away almost overnight. Wow. Uh, So you can just imagine what that did to the business and any fixed cost was a killer for us. And yes, we're going into a great economy, hopefully now coming out of the pandemic, but you just never know, uh, you know, what could happen. And so I think it's always better to just kind of just, you know, always be just a little in a little bit of pain, uh, you know, with the infrastructure you've got. In uh, early 2011, my agency was less than a year old. We'd already hit seven figures in sales. We had a team. We had foosball tables. Everybody was, you know, had MacBook Pros. We had a, I think we had a keg, uh, you know, for, for, (laughs) we we called it Craft Beer Fridays. And and, uh, I had a business coach come in and he said, uh, you know, man, you got a lot of cool stuff going on in the office. And I was like, yeah, thanks. You know, my ego's inflated at this point. And he says, "Um, what are you taking home? Like you personally, Joe? And I told him and he's like, you know, compared to what you guys are doing in terms of revenue, that's, that doesn't make sense, those ratios. And he says, but you sure made sure everybody has really the nicest, you know, MacBook Pros going on. And he started rattling off kind of my expenses and bringing it to the forefront of these unnecessary things. He asked me how often clients come to the office. And I told him when they do, they only make it to the conference room. They don't come into the office or anything, nor do they care. And that was a major uh, shift for me in my business to realize that I can be a lot more profitable 
um, by uh, by minimizing infrastructure. You you talk. We we didn't spend a lot of time on it. I think the in the Y section of your book, and you talk about commoditization. This is a major problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. I just shift gears real back to this because it made me think about pricing. Most people can't charge more because they're in the commodity trap, right? They're not yeah. able to differentiate. They're saying things like you said, I, I can get this anywhere. What makes you different? You know, then every, there's, there's a thousand social media agencies that walk into my door. There's 150 digital marketers that message me every day. They don't know how to differentiate themselves. And if they can, they can charge more. If they, they, so talk about the pressures of this pricing trap that people get themselves into and how your framework can get them out of that. Mm-hmm. And relieve mm-hmm. some of the stress that people have. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we're backtracking a little bit, but I want, I meant to spend more okay. time on that pricing. We're going to go a little long because of it. Is that okay? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah the The problem is, um, you know, once you become an interchangeable part, then you have basically, uh, you know, there's no switching cost for your customer or very little switching cost for your customer. And so they can can you and bring somebody else in. And there may be a little pain in the beginning, but they're, you know, especially if they're starting to get under pricing pressure, we're going to see that in this, in this new world, we're going to see, you know, a lot of spending, but we're also going to see prices, um, costs, costs go up. Employees are going to start commanding higher prices because we're going to be in a war for talent soon. Uh, you know, healthcare costs, of course, are rising like crazy. Uh, the, yeah. you know, office space is going to suddenly become more expensive. There's going to, you know, it's going to be a feeding frenzy out there in the economy. And you can argue, well, that's a good thing because there's going to be a lot of business, but your costs are going to go up and up and up. That's going to be true even regardless of the economy we're in. And so you've got to be in a position to get away from that cost plus thing uh, because your customers don't. In fact, I mentioned in the book, I moved from Atlanta to Silicon Valley. It it was basically twice as expensive, if not three times as expensive yes. as where I came from. My clients don't give a hoot what I'm having to, how much more I have to pay in rent or for people or any of that kind of stuff. They, you know, I, I, you think I can walk into my clients and say, oops, sorry, um, office office space is a lot more expensive now that I'm in Silicon Valley. So I'm going to have to increase my rates by 50%. No, that's not going to fly. And that's exactly what people are going to run into. So you get into this margin squeeze and, you know, and of course it's a, that's where the spiral comes in because you're in a margin squeeze. You have to pull back on investing in future growth. You can no longer, um, you know, invest in marketing as much marketing. You can't hire the same caliber of people, yada, yada, yada. So then you, you know, your quality starts to drop and, uh, you know, the prices get pushed down further. And before you know it, you just can't make it work. And I, I, I teach, uh, you know, that if you, you, if, if you are in a position where you're easily compared to someone else, you're not there yet. <laughs> yeah. You're not there well, yet. Well, here's, great, here's some great um, telltale signs. Number one, if you go into clients and you talk about capabilities, yeah, you're done. You know, we're capable of writing press releases. We can do social media campaigns. You know, if you're spouting off just general skills and abilities, 
big problem. Number two, if you are having to submit proposals, competitive proposals, uh, if you find yourself in RFP process, now some industries, it's just how it works. Uh, you know, you, uh, government, uh, you know, some of those, but even in the government space, when, if they, if they know about you, they know you're uniquely capable of doing it. You're, they're going to figure out a way to help you you know, survive that RFP process and not be part of just a generic or the worst is when they use you to justify buying somebody else because yeah. that happens a lot, right? They invite mm -hmm. you to propose. They already know who they want to have win, but they're using you to keep the, you know, the, the top candidate kind of in line with their pricing and so forth. So those are a few telltale signs. And if you're having to, um, you know, just really bend over backwards to figure out, you know, how, you know, convince them that you, you can do what they're doing instead of them, instead of them immediately seeing it. And if you're talking about, if your sales pitch revolves around process instead of outcomes. So, uh, you know, if, if you're talking to them about, you know, here's what you're going to end up with. That's that's where you want to be. If you're talking to them about, well, we come in and we're going to, you know, we're going to do a discovery workshop and figure out what your needs are. And then we're going to, um, you know, you're going to pay us this much per month and, you know, maybe we'll get you some results. Maybe we won't. Yeah, you're, no. You know, you're commoditized. I love that. This is really this is really insightful. I hope. Everybody's listening to this, and oh my god, marketing agency! I so, so rarely see yeah. PR firms. Oh my god, they're the worst. Yeah, uh, yeah any you know, agency, no, marketing agencies are in that are in that group. I yeah, I I teach in my coaching and my trainings and my courses. I do YouTube videos on never send a client a proposal. Um, yeah. First of all, yeah. if, you, if you're at that point, you lose. Um, yeah. And you you lose control. And also, if you get to a point where they're just wanting to compare you to the next proposal, you lost. You're you're done, and you'll never be able to command the fee that you want. Yeah. I this is gold. And you you give a, um, you know, one of the best processes for not having to do that in terms of stop work on you know your differentiation, work on clarity around your offers, work on how do you get other people talking about your business and brand, you know, in the ignite phase, you go into a lot of really cool stuff. I, I wish we had all the time in the world to talk about some of this. I, um, um, you say that the goal is to build a platform to be the go-to person or company or brand in your market, and it'll help you achieve sustainable differentiation. And I love that you put in the word sustainable differentiation. Yeah, and it's, yeah. there's, you talk at, at the end of the book about ways to do that and what to, um, you know, how to be agile in the marketplace, how to be flexible and and roll with the punches of the market and always be kind of on that cutting edge. It's something very difficult for people. You know, people say to me, like, you know, tell me about what you've done for the last 12 years, Joe, in your agency. And I'm like, what I do now in my agency is nothing like what I did 12 years ago. What I did three years after I started wasn't anything like it. I mean, back when we first started, we were helping people with MySpace <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, and blogging and, and other stuff on WordPress, very simple ways to get the present. There was no Facebook advertising. There was no digital, digital advertising. So it's, everything has changed. Um, but I, I love that you talk about sustainable differentiation and what it takes to sustain that um, in the marketplace. This is, um, I, here's an example of something you, you share in the book that was also unique to me was your framework around the, the uh, uh, media food chain. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I love that because it gave me a, a different way of looking at, and I think this is in the Ignite phase of the book, of different way of yeah. saying who are going to be my innovators, who's going to kind of be my spokesperson, or who, and who's going to be my innovators, who's going to be my early adopters, and how do I get the message out to them and, and kind of start putting these people on my side to where they're speaking or touting, showcasing, showing off the message on my behalf. And this all lends itself to, and in your solutions, cheat sheet and all this that's inside the book, all of these concepts for everyone listening, if you have been in a position where you haven't figured out yet how, I mean, I think a lot of people who've been in business for a year or two are still in startup phase because of this. If you haven't figured out how to really launch your business with a unique offer that's going to make people feel, see, and not have to ask what makes you unique in the market and be able to spread that message out in a way that she outlines in this book, you need to go back to that drawing board. And that's something that maybe I realize. I'm like, I'm luckily in my new venture, I'm kind of a, in a startup phase, but mm-hmm. I don't care if I'd be 10 years old. I'd be, re, this would be like restarting and reigniting my business. And yeah, um, yeah, that's, awesome. that's one thing that I want to emphasize to people is it doesn't matter where you are in the journey. Yeah. Um, if you adopt even just pieces of what's in there, it's going to make an immediate difference in your profitability, um, in your gross margins. People, you know, I get so frustrated. I hear lots of talk about revenues and growth and, um, but I don't hear people obsessed over gross margins. And for anybody who doesn't know what that means, that means the, the price, what, what you're able to, the difference between what you're able to charge and what it costs you to provide that service or product um, before you've spent money on other things. And so if, if it costs me $10 to, to create a product or to provide a product or a service and I can charge $20 for it. Okay. I have a 100% gross margin, but if I can only charge $10 and 50 cents for it, you know, my margin is so thin that it's hard for me to get enough money to do other things to grow the business. So I want to hear people obsess. And most of the time I will ask, and I'm talking even big companies, I will ask them, what are your gross margins? And they can't tell me. They don't know. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's they amazing. have no idea. I, yeah, I have a a lesson I walk people through for people who want to be like Facebook ad agencies. And when I was teaching my original lesson, and I was I was figuring out my gross margins in order to teach it, which was that's the nice part about teaching some of this is it forces you to actually do some of it. But when I was doing it, I, I've got some backlash from people going, "Well, like it, it, they almost felt it was unethical." Like. So you're charging this amount, but you're really only spending five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day on this. Uh-huh. How can you uh-huh. do that? I, and they don't, <laughs> and I said, because the value to the client is so significant that I can feel good about pricing my expertise at this level. And the people who are stuck with this belief system too, that they don't, that this, that the healthy margin maybe shouldn't exist because now you're somehow cheating someone they got to get over that. They got to get past this and go, no, how do I create a healthy margin? And you say it, this is the third part of the subtitle of your book and have customers happy, love you for it. You write, yeah. right? In other yeah. words, this is about, um, you know, creating and owning your market, being able to charge more and clients are perfectly happy giving you the exchange of their, their money for your value. And uh, that's a really important piece for people. And so I'm so happy that um, you, you illuminate it in your book. You articulate it way better than I ever could, which is why I'm glad you're here. I got to have you back again, Teresa, sometime. Absolutely. And, uh, 
thanks for thanks for. I'm going to make sure. How can people find you? So I, I put a link inside the the comments to your book. People can go to Amazon, get your book, and then find you from there, right? Yes, yes. Uh, ApolloMethod.com is the website. You'll find links to the book there too. Um, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I I love hearing from readers. If anybody wants to find me there, and uh, but ApolloMethod.com is where you can get the resources as well for the book. And they're out there. If you haven't read the book, you can still download the resources. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to make an impact, even if you haven't bought or read the book. But I think you'll get more out of the tools, of course, if you do read the book. It'll be helpful. And I, I am hoping to provide some service to, uh, you know, a, a, a program soon to people. And you can write to me at Teresa at ApolloMethod.com if if you're interested, um, people who would like to get involved in some ongoing training and uh, coaching from me on implementing the methodology. Yes. Thank you very much. Awesome. And uh, thank you for writing the book. Thank you're you. You're welcome. For thank you for being a reader. I, I'm so elated. Well, I, that I want to challenge everyone so not to it. read the book. I want to challenge everyone to use the book and, yeah. you know, and create, you know, in, in-house study groups around it because it's it's that it's that meaty uh, to be able to do that. It's not just concepts and ideas. Um, we didn't get to all my notes, but we will the next time I have you over. Um, let's everyone, if you're on here live, share this out. If you are listening to the podcast, give us a review. Share this with the people that you care the most about uh, in business. And I'll see you next week on the Not Your Average Joe Show. Teresa, you've not been average. You're not the average, Teresa. Thanks for being on. Tune in next week for the Not Your Average Joe Show with international business mentor Joe Soto.